Hey Manny, what are you having for lunch? I don't know. I had a savory waffle from Bites and Bowls for breakfast. It was so satisfying. Yeah, I heard they have great food at Bites and Bowls. I'm gonna order a sandwich and a salad from there. Great, order me a smoothie, please. Of course. Whether you're looking for breakfast or lunch, come to Bites and Bowls, a fun Latin-owned eatery in East Springdale. Hey everyone, we're back with the District 3 Podcast. My name is Irvin. Uh, today, we're actually on the show. We have a good friend um, who I think is one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, I've never heard anything bad about you, ever. <laughs> it's all good stuff, and that's, that's, that just kind of shows you know the kind of person that you are, the kind of leader that you are. We have the program director from New Beginning, Solomon Birchfield. Thank you for joining us, Solomon. Irvin, thank you for having me, man. So, um, we're here obviously to talk about New Beginnings. There's a lot of good information to share with the community about this project that you have been working on for quite a long time. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the work that, that you've been doing leading up to this. I was telling you that um, just by doing some research, you know, some Googling, I saw that something that's consistent in your work is that for, you've been fighting chronic homelessness in Arkansas for quite some time. Um, how, how do you get involved with this? What motivates you to do this kind of work? Is there something in your past that maybe uh, out of your personal experiences motivated you to do this type of work? If we can talk about that first. Yeah, sure. Um, I think, first off, I just know it in my bones that it's the right thing to do, to show up for each other. You know, we all deserve help when we're struggling. Uh, we all deserve access to the things that we need to thrive as human beings. Um, so I know that in my bones. I mean, I, I, I did grow up in a family that, that was poor. I did, you know, we did go through some, like, housing insecurity a couple times. But nothing where we were actually staying on the streets or mm. without access to a friend or something that could keep us under a yeah. roof. Um, I... I just know it in my bones. It's the right kind of thing, and it connects to me. I feel fulfilled. I feel like I'm in my purpose when I'm helping uh, people who are, you know, some of the most marginalized people in our community. Yeah. I started working at Seven Hills, like, after I I was going through a change in my career, and I went and did a long-term hike called mm. the Camino de Santiago okay. in Spain. Okay. And I took this time to kind of think about what should be next for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what came to me over that hike was just I'd love to get involved in in ending homelessness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be this way. And so when I came back to Fayetteville, I was just lucky enough to get plugged in. There was an open job at Seven Hills for a case manager. Yeah. And so I leapt at it and jumped in and started learning a whole lot mm-hmm. about homelessness and how we could end it. So that was your first, uh, like, I guess in your career, that was the first job that you had that was like battling homelessness. Right. Um, and I've, you know, I've been at the Seven Hills. I've been at like the different locations of Seven Hills here in the area. And, uh, you know, working with the Bell Project, a lot of my clients go to Seven Hills. You probably, you probably have some of my clients in the future at New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about like homelessness kind of being really like normalized? Mm. Uh, the fact that, you know, I, I'm not, I, I guess I, I am pretty like, like I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I get like these really strong emotions 
whenever I see certain situations or whenever I feel that people are like are not doing good and, and I feel that like either negativity or sadness. So I was driving through Fort Smith, um, I think it was about a month ago, and um, it was night, it was like 8 p.m. and uh, there was like 10 people on the street. Uh, and uh, like I remember we were passing by, my wife and I, my wife had loud music in the car and I was like, hey, lower the music, cause like they're sleeping, you know, cause they were on the ground sleeping. And that just like, it really got to me. I was like, why, wh how, why is it okay that that uh, these folks like are not like being presented with housing or being helped. And I know that addiction has a lot to do with it. And I know that there's different factors, but the fact that people were sleeping on the street, it just didn't make sense that people think like it's okay and it's normalized and, and not many people are doing something about it. Yeah, it's not normal. It's a scandal. And I think keeping that urgency on it is super important because sometimes we just see it whatever we see in our environment whatever is in the atmosphere we just kind of accept the, oh like that's normal like people are doing the best they can with reality but we've chosen that reality mm. somehow like and that that status quo is controversial that's why when we talk about like solutions to homelessness when sometimes people think that oh that's controversial though like what you're saying is is, yeah. is a controversy no like the status quo is controversial like this mm -hmm. is a scandal that we have in our community people who literally have nowhere nowhere to sleep at night yeah. people who are experiencing uh just as much when it is people who are experiencing addictions or yeah. people experiencing mental health stuff that they don't have support for um that's a scandal and i i remember i was part of a conversation on like including sensitivity to homelessness in like mm -hmm. park design and library mm -hmm. design and stuff like that and for me I was thinking this is impossible how how are in academic disciplines how are folks thinking about how do we design libraries to accommodate homeless people mm -hmm. how do we design parks to accommodate people going through homelessness like that's when we've decided it's normal yeah. and it's just part of our you know design philosophy is to is to accommodate folks in that circumstance instead of like getting worked up a little bit that's crazy because it's kind of like you're des you're designing something around the issue instead of like approaching it and uh kind of like the gel expansion you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like instead of focusing on like you know why is someone being like the fta's twenty five thousand dollar bonds yep. right they're keeping people in there it's like no let's not help them let's just make a bigger jail so we can put more people in there you know and it's like <laughs> the fact that you're saying that that these libraries and parks are you know instead of tackling the issue they're just making it they're trying to like add some sort of like beautiful layer to it or, or make it a bit a beautiful design to accommodate but not solve the problem doesn't sit right with me we've got to go to the root and like fix it at the root level yeah yep i feel the same way so um so you were at seven hills as a case manager and how long were you there? I worked that job for several years. I kind of ended up floating into different roles. And then Seven Hills was going through some transitions, and I ended up being our director of operations for several years. Okay. And that's really, I think, when I began to really hone in on why does chronic homelessness bother me so much? Mm. And 
what could we do to provide something for people that, that have, you know, chronic patterns of homelessness in their histories. I remember asking an intern at Southern Hills for their project to do some interviews with people who are chronically homeless mm. and kind of get a better understanding <clears throat> of their life and like where are the events that happened in life that precipitated housing instability or homelessness. Yeah. And the the results are just they were absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. And it's, it's people that if we understood their whole story, I think we would just have to respond and mm. act. And uh, I mean, I guess we should, even if we don't know their stories, just by virtue of being neighbors and fellow humans. But that's definitely something that stuck with me. And I started looking at what what is the kind of thing that helps somebody get out of chronic homelessness? Mm-hmm. And of course, the answer is it's a kind of intervention that is more longer term and costs a little bit more. Because if if there's somebody who's been going through like temporary homelessness, you know, they've been life has been all right. They had the job. They had yeah. good relationships. They had, you know, stuff together. And then they've hit this speed bump in the road mm-hmm. and now they're sleeping in their car. Yeah. For that person, the way you step in is usually pretty short term, pretty minimal, like help them get back up, yeah. get back in a house, stick with them for a little bit, and then they're going to be good. For people that have been chronically homeless, the issues are just more complex. And maybe we are talking about disabilities, uh, mental health issues that they've never received support for, addictions, mm. which is usually linked to trauma. Yeah. Um, Addiction as adult often linked to trauma as a child. And so the issues are just more complex. And the thing that actually works, if you look around the country, is when you have supportive housing for people who've been chronically homeless, they, they stop being chronically homeless. Mm. And supportive housing means that it's you've made housing affordable for them where they can just pay 30% of their monthly income on their housing. Yeah. Plus you provide like a social worker that kind of has them on their caseload of like 15 or 20 people that stops in and checks on them and just helps make sure that they're stabilized, that they're getting along with neighbors, managing their money, staying, going to their counseling appointment. Mm. Um, that kind of supportive housing actually ends chronic homelessness. Okay. And so the challenge is just how do we match, how do we scale that mm-hmm. intervention, that support to the size of the problem yeah. in our community? I could be wrong. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I would say probably you're probably the most knowledgeable person about like battling homelessness probably in our area in our in state the world in the world yeah the planet <laughs> <laughs> in Mars um, so what do you think about like when when people say because I know that there are usually a lot of factors right why someone is homeless uh, it could be addiction issues it can be mental health issues it can be issues at home um, is there, just based on your experience, is there people who are homeless because they want to be? I think that it's a really low percentage. Um, I think a lot of times people will tell you that if you ask them, like, hey, why, why are you homeless? You're talking to somebody that maybe has been outside for 10 years in Springdale or Fayetteville or Bentonville. Yeah. And they may say, oh, no, I like being homeless. Like, I'll die in these woods. Is it like a defense mechanism, you think? I think so. It's kind of a, I don't want 
I don't want to be the object of your pity. Like, mm. I'm okay on my own. Like, I don't want your, I don't want that label. I don't want that stigma. Like, I'm resourceful. I do for myself. And, like, I'm kind of pr- I'm proud of what I'm, how I'm surviving. <clears throat> yeah. Some of the most resourceful people I've ever met are people that are living on the street. So, I've, I've personally known a number of people who would have told you that the first time they met you. But those same people, when I've seen them offer supportive housing yeah. opportunities, they leap at it. Mm. And they say, yeah, I'll pay 30% of my disability check to rent. And like, I'll, have, I'll meet with a, case, you know, a social worker occasionally, and they'll go for it. Mm. And the studies show us that they'll, they'll end up stabilizing in that housing. You know, 80%, 90% of people that have that support end up maintaining their residency in the future. Because, I mean, when you think about it, if there, let's say, for example, there was someone or some people that, that liked, like, uh, being homeless, right? Didn't like the responsibility or uh, that living in a household, you know, like, comes with, like, paying bills and stuff like that. But, man, when it rains and when it snows, you know, and when it's, like, when COVID's running rampant, like, you got to think that those folks would rather be safe in, a, in their own, like, place with a roof on their head. Right. Right. And um, throughout this process of me working with the Bell Project, I've learned a lot about like how to be a little bit more sensitive mm-hmm. towards homeless folks. I know that I was never like one of those people that are like, oh, get the homeless off the street or anything like that. No. But, you know, in social media, you see th- you see things sometimes where people will make posts and say, look, this person is homeless, but they have an iPhone. You know, why do they have an iPhone? How can they be homeless but have afford an iPhone? And through the work with the Bell Project, you know, I've personally realized like, yo, they need a phone to be able to keep up with their court dates. They need a phone to be able to uh, get a call back from job interviews. Like it's not a luxury, like it's a necessity. If it's an iPhone, I mean, nowadays you can get an iPhone for like a few dollars, you know, if if you get one of like the the older brands, Uh, I mean, the older uh, types and um, things like that, that I wouldn't have thought of if I did not have the experience with the work that I do. Uh, because when you are raised in a culture where, um, specifically with like brown people, you know, with Latino people, like in our culture, it's like you always try to find a way to make things work, mm-hmm. right? And we would be completely ridicu- ridiculed by our family if we were to ever ask for money on the street or, or be or be a... Uh, or be homeless just in general because our families would talk bad about us and stuff like that. Like, it's it's a really negative part of our culture. Um, so when we see homeless people, you know, the way that we're raised, it's kind of seen as a negative thing. And um, I'm glad that I was able, even though I was never really, like, in that culture, never really felt that way, I'm glad I, through my experiences, I got to learn to be able to talk to these people that are in that negativity in the culture and say, hey, before you, before you, before you call someone out because of a phone that they have, and then being homeless, this is why they have a phone. You know, before you call out someone saying, "Oh, you're being lazy because you're asking for money in the street," like, do they have mental health issues? Mm-hmm. Do they have like drug addictions, or do they have other other type of, of issues? Like, take a step back before you criticize someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks because I mean, a lot of us are raised with that negativity and that negative image of of what a homeless person is um how do you combat that how do you do you still deal with people that will tell you like why are you trying to help these people out like if they wanted to help themselves they could 
Yeah, I do, and I think that you're right. I mean, I always just try to take the approach of really listening to them, like find out why it is that they have those assumptions and perceptions, and then try to help educate. Um, when they're ready, I think that that direct experience is the best teacher and can kind of humble you so you don't hold on to judgments about other people. Yeah. I think experience is a gateway drug to empathy, and then empathy is what leads us to meaningful action. One of the questions that I always kind of try to reframe with people who are noticing, hey, he's on the street asking for money, and is he going to use that for drugs and alcohol yeah. or whatever? I always say, like, I mean, I'll give them, I'll give people money. I've been in the car with people who are going through homelessness, and they will give somebody on the street mm-hmm. corner money. If they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And then I always say, as you give them a bottle of water or a granola bar or five bucks, ask yourself, what's missing in our community that would be a support to this person so they could get out of homelessness, mm-hmm. so they could be working a job that matches their abilities or get into a house that matches their income or get into a treatment and rehab center. When I took city council members out into the woods to meet with folks who were camping in the woods before last election, a lot of the folks who were camping brought up all these issues about, I can't walk into a rehab center. Mm-hmm. Like, where where is a rehab center that's free and that doesn't take insurance and doesn't take no. three months for me to get in? Why isn't that available in our community? Yeah. You know, if I've got felonies on my background, where, you know, how hard is it for me to get a job? How hard is it for me to get housing? Like these are community level questions that we have to address, not just putting it all on the individual. Homelessness is a social problem more than an individual shortcoming. Yeah. So every time I give that like gesture of help, I try to ask myself, how am I making sure my how am I pushing on my leaders mm-hmm. in my city and county and state and country to to change the social supports available for people so they mm-hmm. can get out of these circumstances? That's that's such a good point. Um, I talk talking about the uh, the camp. Um, I know you just mentioned that. Um, can you give people a, a better idea of what that camp consists of? You know, we don't have to talk about location or anything like that, but like. Um, what is being what in the past few years has been done at that camp uh support wise and what your involvement with it was or is i'm not sure if you're still involved with it which i think you are just i think you always will be in a way right because you they know you pretty well there in a in in a more minor way now but more integral way at the beginning i just was doing outreach when covid began was doing some health education outreach um, in camps and uh, the folks at this <coughs> camp were like we don't want to have to leave the police told us we have three days to leave it came last night mm. and uh, this particular patch of ground is pretty large it's owned by the city okay. and so we were able to advocate with the city of Fayetteville um, and they agreed they ended up agreeing <coughs> to let them stay at the land sounds good and really that should be a universal policy. There shouldn't be camp clearings, period. And if we had a ban on camp clearings, would we see people camping and staying in one place? 
mm-hmm. on the sidewalk in the parks yeah we would and that would be a really good reminder to us as a community that we have some you know we have some things we need to address yeah but uh but they did agree to not clear this camp meanwhile um also requested for the city to earmark money from the cares act to provide some supports to that camp and work together with seven hills with salvation army with the city <laughs> of fayetteville's uh, community resources department to try to get some some basics out to the camp showers bathrooms hand washing stations mm. uh, we were able to make sure every person there who registered got a tent got a chair got a, a light that would charge in the sun and could charge your phone cool. uh, so there's a place to kind of get some juice we actually ended up being able to provide meals short term delivered meals just from Salvation Army out to the camp so that during COVID especially there was um, an ability for people that typically have to move all throughout the community to meet their basic needs to have some stability and be able to stay mm-hmm. at that place and what we ended up building was mostly self-run so that was the structure the leaders in the camp were people that lived in the camp mm. it was their idea to open it um, they designed how the supports should look. Did it have, does it have a name? We called it Safe Camp. Safe Camp. We played with some other names, but we ended up calling it Safe Camp. Mm. Um, it's not safe on the streets. Yeah. And so this was an attempt to try to give some extra support, even though it was minimal, honestly. They ended up having elections. We had 50 registered campers, and I talked to each person. I get nominations for who should be on the camp council, and then. Oh, man. We had like probably 12 people nominated and ended up voting. After that, had uh, you know seven people on that council. So I'd meet with them every week as well, trying to help build that leadership capacity, just to handle conflict issues, um, to liaise with the community. Like I mentioned, we brought out all the city council members and, and other people that were just interested in helping. There was a group that does mutual aid that came and met with that leadership council and donated cash um, to all the campers there. Uh, to meet their individual needs. So it was a really cool experience and kind of a pilot project, I would say, in the idea of being like resident governed Mm. or self-governed. Personally, I think that in human services, that's where it's at. I mean, the big things we should be reorganizing social services around is that the people who have firsthand experience are in the driver's seat. Yeah. And that we're able to include talking about social and structural change while we're doing the social social services i think those are the two things we have to bring together Mm. so it was a great just kind of pilot test test case for what we're also trying to do at new beginnings so new beginnings uh officially officially opened tomorrow oh tomorrow's a day Irvin, i'm giving you my night before opening day oh this is (laughs) dropping tomorrow so it's gonna oh nice it'll be on the day of this is gonna drop online the day of that's pretty cool we open tomorrow yeah people there's trucks bringing people from campsites with their possessions they've already pre-enrolled got their tb tests got covid stuff taken care of and people are moving in tomorrow so um 20 houses there's 20 cabins yep 20 cabins um how does this idea uh well actually i think i spoke with you and i think you i spoke with you like a year ago Mm. and i think you already had like plans to do something like this Mm -hmm. um but we didn't we didn't really discuss too much in depth um but how does it come about how do you how do you get funding how do Mm -hmm. you um like what's the first steps you took to make this a reality 
Well, this really began as a dream of Dr. Kevin Fitzpatrick at the U of A. Um, he uh, is in the sociology department and has been passionate about ending homelessness for a long time. He helped start a lot of the services, kind of stand up a lot of the homeless care services in Northwest Arkansas, along with many <coughs> others. He's been dreaming of this as kind of a way to fill in the gap mm-hmm. for folks who are unsheltered and that are longer term homeless. So. Initially, well, it took many years, but there were some other private citizens that just got passionate about it and wanted to make donations that would help get the project launched. Uh, We did receive one really large donation from Jane Hunt. She donated a million dollars to the project. Is that from, like, the J.B. Hunt family? From the Hunt family, yep. Mm -hmm. So it will support operations for a couple years. And then we do have a one federal grant that we applied for as well um, and it's been dreamed about for many years but it it finally kind of came to fruition in this last year and a half mm-hmm. where it's like this is gonna actually happen mm-hmm. and they'd asked me to just help design the program and engage with the residents who may want to stay there and then help lead it and support it as we open so um, how do you start the process or how did you start the process to approve the certain individuals that are going to get to live <clears throat> in these cabins? So in Northwest Arkansas, there's a continuum of care. It's an entity through which all the nonprofits in the homeless care system collaborate, right? So when we have a meeting, it's Helping Hands, it's Salvation Army, it's Seven Hills, it's New Beginnings, it's, it's everybody that works in this space. Yeah. And we maintain a shared list of people who are going through homelessness, mm-hmm. whether they came in the front door at, at ver- a variety of institutions and organizations mm-hmm. or churches or food banks, they should be able to end up on this same shared list. It's not 100% comprehensive, it's not 100% accurate, but it's a really good start. So I begin with that list and you can sort the list by how long have people been going through homelessness. Okay. And so I would start with that that kind of group, that higher priority group, and just do targeted <clears throat> outreach. And okay. I, I knew a lot of the people, but there's a lot of people I didn't know as well. And just tried to find people, connect with them, give them a tour, explain how this would be different than kind of yeah. anything else. This hasn't been tried in Arkansas before. How is it different? Well, the three phrases that we try to use about New Beginnings Bridge Housing Community is it's resident guided, it's low barrier, low demand, and it's housing focused. And I won't say all those things are completely different than anywhere else, but but we're trying to really live into those three descriptions. It's resident guided, which means um, there'll be probably a resident council there. Um, One person, one vote in the community, and a lot of the rules are just determined by this community agreement. You know, can we have guests? And what are the rules about guests? what about pets and how do we take care of them? How do we, you know, have somebody, a resident on duty that's at the front desk? So if you come in and drop off, you know, blankets, then you're talking to somebody who's staying there. So the residents really can make the rules, change the rules. Um, there'll be a safety team of residents that are helping, like, check on smoke alarms and replace batteries and do a fire drill. And so there is a staff team there 24-7, but one member. But really the heart of it is determined by the residents themselves and are responsible to each other 
to keep it safe, to keep it a clean community. So cool. Yeah. And the second piece is being low barrier, which means that a lot of times in homeless services, uh, you're working with people that have behavioral health issues, maybe addictions, maybe mental health stuff, maybe just anger issues or whatever, like mm-hmm. all of us have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sometimes people get kind of screened out because then maybe folks found their behavior hard to work with. Mm. We're trying to be low barrier, which means that we're not, there's not a precondition of recovery and sobriety. There's not a precondition of medication compliance. Um, we want to have low barrier so that people that have been unsheltered longer term aren't screened out. And that's why we have staff person there 24 seven is we do want to have a neutral party um, that has some training to help de-escalate situations that has some authority to enforce the safety rules that all the residents have kind of created together and endorsed that there is some neutral third party to say, yeah, that is, that's their rule. Um, Mm. you've got to be suspended or else we have to, you know, call the police. Mm. So being low barrier is really key to us. And the third is being housing focused, which means we're not trying to make a community that's like a permanent place to live. For I was going to ask about that, if it was like a transitional uh, housing or if like it can be permanent, Yeah, that would work. We're, we like the phrase bridge housing because it's like nobody stays on, no one stays on a bridge forever. We use, yeah. we use a bridge to get from where we're at to where we need to go. Um, the goal is eventually to get them out doing their own thing on their own and, and uh, back on their feet. Into appropriate housing with supports. So sometimes that may mean on their own, on their own feet, and a lot of times it may not. It may mean with ongoing supports, in like supportive housing. Okay. Um, I think the goal of being interdependent in a healthy way is better than the goal of just being independent, because mm. all of us That's are true. actually interdependent, and sometimes we put it on people that have support needs that they're supposed to be able to have quote unquote independence, mm. and then we don't provide the actual the adequate support yeah. that they'll need to maintain and thrive and contribute. So we want to be housing focused. There's a housing specialist on site and every resident meets every week with that housing specialist to work on housing related goals. And we want to help advocate in the community for more, more opportunities for supportive housing, for affordable housing, so that there's, you know, there's viable options for people to move out from new beginnings into. Uh, so we wrap up those three things. And I think, we're doing some we're doing some you know new and unique things and hopefully it will help support people and help them get back into healthier living situations i think it will um and we're the we're like the day before it opens like you just mentioned uh does that mean that the cabins at this time don't have people yet correct in um so does that mean that tomorrow people start coming in that's right and do you already have like 20 people yeah i've got 20 plus a few more kind of in the bullpen in case there's something that doesn't work out okay so how in the future if someone uh was needing of your services like do they just go into like the center and uh i say center because i can't think of a better word but um do they just go there or do they have to call how would that work that's a really good question because this is a little bit unique i mean 20 cabins it's already full we're working collaboratively with other nonprofits from a list of people who are experiencing homelessness. So if somebody wants to move in, the best way is to, is to make sure that they're on that list. Okay. That's kind of the first way. So where's the nonprofit or where's the entity, the church or whoever that, that you kind of get assistance from if you've been longer term homeless. Okay. And 
make sure that they can help you get on that list. Now, I know our list is not comprehensive and accurate, so I am not above getting a direct email. I don't want our, I don't want people, we could answer, answer phones all day long, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not a good way to, to reach out for about enrollment, but, but I am open to getting an email from anybody. If you know somebody that is going through long-term homelessness, or if you are somebody that struggled with that a long time, email me directly. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So, because um, I know you, te- you, whenever I texted you, you told me you were uh, barely finishing working for the day. I was like, you're working on a Sunday, <laughs> uh, but now it makes sense because <laughs> you're opening tomorrow. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Well, um, I know that things will go good, Solomon. You have a really good heart, and I know that your leadership, I mean, has already been proven uh, to be effective. And I'm glad that you, that it's someone like you that's in that position of of heading. Um, new beginnings, you know, and I'm excited to see how we're able to work together uh, in the future, you know, because our our work is going to intersect somehow totally. and our clients are going to intersect like it's just bound to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that that uh, homelessness, I don't know if there will ever be, if we will ever end homelessness in this country, right? Because people don't care enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that through the work that you're doing, uh, it continues to be like noticeable the change that you can do in the community and and uh, hopefully just help people you know get that opportunity to uh, if they if they can like you said get on their two feet uh, on their own feet and with support you know it will go a long way I've seen it personally happen in the community where once someone gets support you know they're able to get a job and they're able to to start paying the rent out on their own and, yeah. and it's such a beautiful thing to see when you see a client that you know you saw them whenever they didn't have anything when they were struggling to now being like happy with their family and you know just living a very happy life you know it's it's not one of those things where it's like you do the work specifically to kind of like stroke your ego and be like oh I helped out with that no <laughs> but just to see that change in someone's life that's so fulfilling and and, and it makes me so happy to see yeah it's so beautiful and yeah i've seen the same thing and seeing someone's self-esteem and and then be able to contribute i mean that's one of the ugly things is when we don't we don't make us a community that includes everybody we miss we're missing out on what they can contribute so we have to make sure we get supports to people that they need so they can stabilize and thrive and then we all benefit from what they contribute as well yeah, definitely. And if you're listening to this live on the radio, New Beginnings opens up tomorrow, which is super exciting. If you're listening to this online on our online podcast, today's the day whenever New Beginnings open. And probably Solomon is currently, when you're listening to this online, like working like crazy at the mm-hmm. at the location uh, for the opening day. And, uh, and yeah, just continue to support the work of New Beginnings, the work of Solomon. Um, there are a lot of people in our community that need our help, and sometimes we need to step outside of you know of of our viewpoints on things and and learn and understand that it's not uh, as black and white as you might think it is in regards to like the homeless community other communities that are are suffering and are are going through a very difficult time so hopefully in the next few months Solomon we're able to have you back again and we're able to kind of get an update as to where New Beginnings is and what y'all are working on because I know that y'all are probably going to have a lot of projects rooting from this project you know it's just bound to happen yeah, I think you're right. Uh, don't forget, New Beginnings is on Facebook, is on yeah. Instagram. You can message us there. The residents at New Beginnings will be helping uh, 
run and shape Possible. the social media presence. And next time we talk, hopefully we can do a partnership interview yes. uh, with somebody who's leading in the community. Irvin, thank you for what you do, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you, and thank you to everybody listening. Uh, that's the end of our episode this week. Um, we'll be back next Sunday on the air on uh, 99.9 FM Hotline at 6 p.m. And our podcast is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, every platform, uh, every Monday at 9 a.m. It pops up on there. So make sure you support, make sure you share, and make sure you support uh, New Beginnings. Thank you all. Have a good rest of your week.